We're going to be in Romans chapter 12, if you have a Bible and want to follow along. Romans chapter 12. We want to talk about this simple question this morning, and that is this. um, What kind of culture does the good news create? What kind of culture does the good news create? So we've been talking um, for the last several weeks about this good news that we have as Christians. This good news that even though we are sinners, that God has come to us by sending his son Jesus. And that because of what Jesus has done in his death and in his resurrection, we can be made right with God. How does that message, how does that news create a culture in our community? In other words, what should it feel like here for people who believe that message? What should it feel like? And the reason that it's important for us to talk about this is because you know, just like I do, that it's possible for us to deny with our culture what we declare with our message. Isn't that true? That it's possible to deny with our culture what we declare with our message. And I need to confess to you that last week I messed up on this. Um, If you were here last week, I just want to um, apologize quickly. Um, There was a spot in the sermon where I was quoting a friend of mine, and I included part of his quote that was not kind. It was, he was talking about, I'm not going to reread it, but he was talking about something that um, I should not have included in the quote, and it could have been offensive to some. And you need to know that I'm sorry for that. And that is not the kind of culture that the good news creates. And so this is not something that's just for you that, hey, here's how you need to start living so that you can begin to have the kind of culture that blah, blah, blah. This is something for me too. Like Clayton said earlier, we're broken people here. We're all people who are in desperate need of grace. The prerequisite to following Jesus is not being good enough. It's admitting that you're sick enough to follow Jesus. And so that's the reason that we need to talk about what kind of culture the good news creates. So Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be. And this is exactly what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12. Now, here's what's amazing to keep in mind as we look at this. The guy who wrote this, the guy who says, here's how you're supposed to live as Christians, before he met Jesus was living the opposite of this. He was literally hunting people down to arrest them and have them executed. And then he met Jesus and something changed. And all of a sudden now he's the kind of man who, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, is telling people to embody this kind of culture that he's going to talk about. So keep that in mind as we read this. So what we're going to do this morning is look at verse 1. Verse 1 is going to kind of be a heading for the, the rest of it, and then we're going to walk through it together, okay? So Romans chapter 12, verse 1, here's what Paul is going to say. He's going to say that the good news of Jesus creates a culture of worship. The good news of Jesus creates a culture of worship. Look at what he says. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So he says, 
brothers and sisters. Now notice he's talking to these Christians like it's a family because the good news creates a new family, a new people. So he's talking to this church like their family. And he says, I appeal to you, siblings, in view of the mercies of God. In other words, because of some of the good things that God has done for you, here's some of the stuff that you should do. What has God done for us? What are the mercies that he's referring to? And I love that, that it's not the mercy of God, it's the mercies of God. It's plural. What are the mercies that God has done for us? Well, God has done some general things that if we're not careful, we'll just completely forget about that he's the one doing them. Uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 45. He says, For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, some of God's mercies to us is just some of the natural things that happen in the world. The sun came up today. It was cold, but praise God that it's not always this cold. The mercies of God are new every morning in normal way. You got up this morning. That's the mercy of God. Your heart, think about this, your heart is pumping blood right now all over your body, and you are not having to do anything to make it do that. Think about that. That's the mercy of God. So in a general way, God is constantly providing for us, and we call this his common grace. He's doing this for good people and bad people. The sun rises on the good and the evil, he says. The rain falls on the good and the evil. He provides uh, food and vegetation for good and bad people. So the mercies of God include his general provision, but he says, I'm appealing to you, brothers and sisters, meaning that God has also done some things specifically for Christians. And of course, he's saying this after he's just spent a whole letter so far talking about what those things are. So what has God done for his people? You know what he's done is he sent his son, Jesus. That even though we were created to have fellowship with God, and even though we had rebelled against God and broken our fellowship with him, God came near to us in his son, Jesus. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross in our place so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And he's raised from the dead so that we can have new life. That's what God has done for us. And when we place our faith in him, then the resurrection power of Jesus becomes ours. We become new. We become forgiven. And you can be forgiven this morning. You can be restored this morning, regardless of your guilt and your shame, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you're planning to do tonight. You can be forgiven because of what Jesus has done for you. So the, the invitation to all people, that's why it's called good news for all people. The invitation for all people is to come and believe in what Jesus has done for you. That's what the mercy of God is. So he says, in light of that, in view of that mercy, here's my appeal to you. Or here's what I'm pleading with you to do. He says, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, here's why I love this. He says, I want you to do this 
physically. I want you to do this in your body. See, there are some uh, faiths that teach that all that really matters is what's inside of you. That your body is really not all that important. That's not the Christian view. Jesus became a human with a body. The word became flesh, right? And then when Jesus was crucified, he didn't just raised from the dead in a spiritual way so that he lives on in our hearts forever kind of thing. Instead, he raised from the dead in a physical way. And so Christianity does not say the spiritual is good and the physical is bad. It says, no, God made them both and they're good. So he says, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This also means that to please God, it's not just something that you do at home having your quiet time. Like, oh, when I'm praying, that's when God is really pleased, but then I can go out and do whatever I want. He's really not that interested in my money, or he's really not that interested in my relationships, or he's really not that interested in my job. No, he's interested in it all. He wants your body, the places that you go, the, the things that you do. He wants for all of that to be presented to him as a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable and pleasing to him. So he says, in view of what God has done for you, here's what I want you to do. Present your body back to God. Now, this is similar to what he said we should do in Romans chapter 6, verse 13. He says, Romans 6, 13, do not present your members, meaning like your hands, your fingers, your eyes, your toes, the parts of your body. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So he's just reiterating here, because you've been raised from the dead, because you've placed your faith in Jesus, here's what you got to do. Present yourself to God, your whole self. And then he says, this is your spiritual worship. Now, the word spiritual here is kind of interesting. I'm not totally sure why they translate it spiritual. The word spiritual here just means rational, logical. It's actually, this word is where we get our word for logical because it sounds like logic in Greek. But this word just means this is the common sense thing to do. This is what makes logical sense. This is your logical worship. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, because of what God has done for you, because of God's mercies, in view of God's mercies, the only thing that makes sense is to offer yourself back to God. And that's what worship is. Worship is not just singing songs in church. Worship is not just praying. Worship is not just giving. Worship is responding to greatness. That's what worship is. It's when you respond to something great. You see something great, you experience something great, and you respond in praise, in adoration, where you start to love that thing. And that's what he's calling us to do, to respond to what God has done for us in his son Jesus in worship. That's what makes sense, to respond to that. And now here's what's so interesting is what he's going to do next for the next 19 verses or so. 
He's just going to walk through what some of that presenting ourselves should look like. And he gets very practical, like uncomfortably practical. And so what I want to do this morning, and we're going to do this very quick. What I want to do this morning is just simply walk through the rest of this section and see what kind of culture a worshiping culture looks like. A gospel culture and a worshiping culture are the same thing. A culture that's created by the good news and a culture that worships, same thing. They go hand in hand. So 12 things from Romans chapter 12. 12 things from Romans chapter 12, okay? First, a worshiping culture is a transforming culture. Look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, the good news transforms us. It should change us. It should make us different. That's, what the, that's the kind of culture we should be. We should be different from the surrounding culture. And this difference, he says, starts in our minds. We should discern differently than the rest of the world. We should discern differently. The word discern here means to be able to approve what's good. So uh, think about this. Um, some of you had pie for Thanksgiving, right? And you walked over to the pie and you started looking at it and you started to, you know, while, while the line was forming, you started to kind of look at what piece you wanted, Right? And what you were doing right there is called discernment in the Bible, okay? What you were doing is you were looking at something and you were trying to discern which of those looks best. And Paul says, I want you to be able to do that in life. I want you to be able to look at all the different options and be able to just discern, approve of the one that's best, he says. And the way that happens is by renewing your mind, renewing your mind. Some of you do this with the communion. When the communion tray passes, and you start eyeing which one has the most juice in it. You know. All right. Um, so here's a couple questions for you to think about. What are you doing to renew your mind to think in a new way? What are you personally doing to renew your mind to think in a new way? The way ultimately that this can happen is by spending time in Scripture. So... How are you incorporating Scripture into your life personally? How are you personally incorporating Scripture into your life? And for some of the young families in the room, let me ask you this. How are you incorporating the Scripture into your family, into your rhythm as a family? Because we know, you know, there's Netflix and there's, there's all kinds of cool stuff that your kids are into, but how could you intentionally to begin, begin helping them encounter the scripture. So, that's the first thing, is a worshiping culture is a transforming culture. Second, it's a self-aware culture. It's a self-aware culture. It thinks accurately about, it causes us to think accurately about ourselves. Look at verses three through six. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, 
each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So he says we need to, a worshiping culture is a culture that is self-aware. We think accurately about ourselves. We don't think too highly of ourselves, he says, and I think he would include, we should not think too low, lowly of ourselves, but instead we should think soberly, accurately. And he gives two reasons for why we should think accurately about ourselves, two ways that should inform how we view ourselves. The first is our faith. What we believe should inform how we view ourselves. So notice this, he says, um, verse 3, we should think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, measure here could mean one of two things. It could mean like the amount of faith that God has given to each one of us. Okay, so that's a measure, right? Or it could mean the standard we use to measure ourselves. And I think the second meaning is what he intends here. It's not God's given different amounts of faith to each of you, and so some of you are going to be able to think more highly than others. That's not his point. The point is that there's a standard that we can measure ourselves by. It's our faith. And do you know what our faith tells us about ourselves? First of all, we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves. You know why? Because we're all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. So you know who we, think we should think highly of is the Lord. But we should also not think too lowly of ourselves because our faith also tells us that not only are we sinners, that we're not worthless who are just despicable. Because God has come to save us in his son Jesus. And so our faith actually humbles us, and then picks us up. Do you see that? So we should think accurately about ourselves because of our faith, and we should think accurately about ourselves, the second reason, is because of our gifts. Because of our gifts. And we've all been gifted by God in different ways. Um, for some of you, you need to know that you are gifted in some ways. Because your natural tendency is to think that you're not very good at things. Your natural tendency is to look down on yourself and you need to know that God has gifted you in some ways. And so that should lift you up. For others of you, you don't have any problem believing that God has gifted you. You need to be reminded that God has gifted you in some ways, okay? You need to, to remember that there are some gifts that God has given you and that you're not perfect at everything. You're not great at everything. And so our gifts should also cause us to think accurately about ourselves. So a couple questions to think about. Do you regularly allow the good news to shape how you view yourself? When you wake up in the morning and you're stressed about something that's going on, what do you tell yourself? Because you know how you start conversations with yourself? What do you begin to tell yourself when you wake up and you're stressed? What if you began to tell yourself the good news and it reminded you that your security your future is not dependent on how all this stuff works out, but instead your future is dependent on something that Jesus has done for you in your place. And how could that begin to inform the way that you feel about yourself? Here's another question. Do you know what your gifts are? Do you know what your gifts are? Do you know what you're good at? And do you know your limits? Do you know your weaknesses? Number three. 
A cooperating culture. A worshiping culture, a gospel culture is a cooperating culture. He says, verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, this is not supposed to be an exhaustive list of gifts. It's not like you have to go and find the gift here. He's just giving some examples of things that people are good at. But a culture that is created by the good news is a culture where we all have different gifts and we work together to accomplish something. That's the kind of culture that it is. Um, For example, yesterday with Courtney, um, we had family in town all weekend, all week, and um, so it's been just chaos in our house. Like we had, I found like a uh, like a half-eaten biscuit, like underneath, like the in the corner. Okay, it was like just a mess. So we were cleaning that, and it's also Christmas time now officially, and so we were getting the house ready for Christmas. And um, so my role yesterday was to clean up some of the big things. Okay, because she says that my standard of cleanliness is not up to par. So clean up some of the big things, and also to fix our uh, wiring on all of our technology because. It's just a big mess back there and all of these cables and it looks terrible. And I'm good at that stuff. I know how to, you know, hook stuff like that up and I know how to run it and make it look good. And Courtney doesn't know how to, like she did not know what a, an internet router was until we got married. Um, and so she wasn't going to be very good at that. So that's my role. Her role, deck the halls, man. Deck the halls. All right. So she got it all ready and it looks amazing in our house now. But that was, in our marriage, we knew we've got different gifts. We're not all going to be able to accomplish the same thing. We're going to accomplish more if we divvy up the tasks and we do our thing. And that's the way that a family works, right? And if the church is a family, then that's the way that the family works. And so we need to cooperate together. We need to have that kind of culture. So how can you contribute to the church family? How can you contribute to the church family? And when I was thinking about this, I thought, man, I need to give them like some list of things that, that we need right now. And, and no, that's not what I need to do. You need to think about what are you good at? How has God gifted you? What are the things that you care about? What are the things that God is, has placed in your heart to do? And you don't need me to make an announcement about that stuff. Instead, you can influence some people around you and go do that thing. You can see needs and address them. You can look at, these are my gifts, and you can just do it. Um, So how can you contribute to the church family? Um, uh, Number four, a worshiping culture is a loving culture. Look at verses nine through 10. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Love, in this context, I think, is putting others ahead of yourselves. It's caring for others. It's pretty simple, right? So here are some questions for you to think about. Somebody asked me this one time, and I thought, man, this really cut me deep at the time. 
Are you more concerned with being interesting or interested in others? Are you more concerned with being interesting or interested in others? In other words, when you're talking to somebody, are you trying to come across like, wow, that person's so interesting. That person has such good insight. That person has such a lot of stuff going on. That person, wow. Or are you more concerned in a conversation with being interested in the other person, finding out what they've got going on? Here's another question. Where in your life could you intentionally lay down your preferences for others? Where could you intentionally lay down your preferences for others? You really like it this way, but for the sake of this other person, I'm going to do it your way. Where could you do that? The church is to be a loving culture where we do that for one another. Number five, it's also to be a genuine culture. He says, let love be genuine in verse nine. The word genuine um, means not playing a part. It means not being a stage actor. So it's literally a word that would mean uh, not to get on stage and perform. So love instead is supposed to be genuine. It's not to be showy. We aren't doing things to make a name for ourselves or seek our agenda. You know how sometimes you can do something for somebody because you know you're going to get something back. That's not the kind of love that we're looking for. Instead, we are genuinely loving people. We're not fake, we're real. So here's a question. Between you and the Lord, are you loving with pure motives? Between you and the Lord, because God's the only one who knows this. Are you loving with pure motives? Number six. A worshiping culture is a moral culture. It's interesting in verse 9 and 10, he says, first, let love be genuine. In verse 10, he says to love one another. And then in between those two commands to love, he says, abhor what is evil. And the word abhor is just a complicated way of saying hate. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. If it promotes evil... It's probably not love. So here's a question. Are you acknowledging the Lord in all your ways? Is there any area of your life where you know what God would say about this thing and yet you're still doing it anyway? A worshiping culture, a culture that responds to who God is and what God has done for us, is a culture that is moral. It does the right thing. So here's some ways to think about. Professionally, is there anything about the way that you go about your job that's immoral? Is there any way that you go about your sexuality that's immoral? Are there any ways that you go about your finances that are immoral? Are there any ways that you go about your relationships that are immoral? As a dad, as a mom, as a husband, as a wife, as a neighbor, is there any part of you that is not promoting God's good vision 
Number seven, a worshiping culture is a passionate culture. Look at verse 11. He says, do not be slothful or lazy in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. The word fervent there is the word enthusiastic, excited, passionate. A worshiping culture is a culture that is enthusiastic to serve the Lord. Does serving the Lord, serving God's people, seeing his name spread in the world, does that excite you? Does it excite you? And if not, why? Seriously, think about that. There's no judgment here, right? Because we're about to talk in a minute about how we're not supposed to judge. So there's no judgment. But does it excite you? Does the idea of our church flourishing, of people coming to faith, of us starting more churches in this city and around the world, of, of seeing people go from death to life in Jesus, does that excite you? If not, why? Could it be that you need to examine, am I a Christian? Am I a Christian? Now, I'm not saying that if you're not excited about that stuff that you're not a Christian. I, don't, I can't know that. But it's worth you considering, am I? Because what happens when I move, when I, when I trust in Jesus, when I believe in Jesus, is I move from death to life. Now, that happens instantly for some, and it help, the, the change happens gradually for others. But all of us are new creations, and when we trust in Jesus, something happens where there's, there's a heart that's beating again. There's passion. So, do you know Jesus? Have you ever recognized that you are a sinner who needs a Savior and that Savior is Jesus? And have you trusted him with your future? Is maybe one of the reasons that you're not passionate right now. It's just that you've gotten too comfortable or bored. Here are some ideas if that's you. Read some missionary stories. Read some conversion stories. Literally just Google or I can send you some resources. Um, read some conversion stories because they are exciting. Um, read the book of Acts. Man, you talk about just firing you up. Take a step of faith. Take a step of faith, meaning do something that puts you in a position that's difficult. Here's some ideas for that. Um, share your faith with somebody. Give sacrificially. I don't have time to tell you the story, but this past year, I was making half the income in 2019 that I made in 2018, okay? That was the plan. And so I started praying uh, about that, and then I still had some opportunities to give to some things. And I'm not telling you this to build myself up. That's the opposite of the point. The point is, I, I had to learn to trust God with what I was giving, and God honored that, and my faith in God and his provision and my faith in God grew because I was taking a step of faith. I was trusting God with something. A step of faith is not complicated. It's, God, you say this, so I'm going to trust that you're going to do that, and so I'm going to do what you say. That's it. So take a step of faith. Start discipling somebody. Look, if you're one of the, the folks who um, is with us and you've been with us for like 60 years in the church, don't think that you don't have anything to offer anymore. I know that there might be some intimidation to try to reach out to a younger person. Don't be intimidated. Instead, 
take a step of faith. Did you know that the Bible says, Titus chapter 2, that older women can train younger women? So take them out to coffee. And don't talk the whole time. Just ask them some questions. It's very easy. Just be interested in them. Take a step of faith. Um, there are lots of different ways that you can do that. Um, is the reason that you're not excited that maybe you've gotten tired? You're just burned out. Like you've been doing stuff for a long time. You used to be fervent in spirit, and now you're starting to feel slothful in zeal. Here's an idea for you. Is rest. Stop doing some stuff for a while. Rest. But rest with a purpose in mind. Listen, we... Our church doesn't want to be the harbor for people who just want to rest forever. You know, like, well, we used to go to that church and we got burned out. And so now we just aren't going to be doing anything anymore ever. We're just here to attend. Rest with a purpose in mind. Don't rest forever. Rest with a purpose in mind so that you can get back in the game. And there are ways that you can rest that are helpful and ways that you can rest that are not helpful. Um, We can talk more about that. But we got to move quick. Number eight, a worshiping culture is a persevering culture. Look at verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. He says rejoice in hope. Because of the good news, there's always reason to hope. Do you know that? Someday, the sin that you struggle with, it's going to be gone. Someday the body that causes you pain, your back that hurts, your knees that hurt, you just woke up, sleep in the wrong way, you get dizzy. Someday the body that's causing you pain will be resurrected just like Jesus' glorious body and you're going to be able to cook all day long again. You're going to be able to go swimming and skiing and hiking and all kinds of cool stuff. That's your future if you belong to Jesus. So rejoice in hope, he says. Rejoice in hope. Also, creation is going to be restored. So the ground that is cursed and the air pollution and all that stuff is going to be restored. It's going to be awesome. So rejoice in hope. And because of that hope, we can patiently endure. Because of that hope, we can patiently endure. Someday Jesus is going to return and make all things right. And so because of that, we can endure. So here are some questions. Do you intentionally rejoice? What would it look like for you to schedule tomorrow two minutes, literally just set a timer for two minutes, and for two minutes you're just going to rejoice about some things? That just means celebrate some stuff. Talk about what's good. Give thanks for some stuff. How could you make that a normal rhythm in your family? Maybe you guys sit down for dinner and you start, hey, it's rejoicing time. What do we got? This is the goal of a members meeting. So I know in the past that you've had business meetings. I don't really like business meetings, that that term, because that doesn't sound like a family to me. So a members meeting, one of the goals, yeah, we got to approve the budget next week. But more than that, we want to celebrate together. We want to rejoice together. That's the goal of a members meeting. When we get together, let's rejoice about some stuff. Let's not fight about, nah, nah, nah. Let's rejoice about some stuff. All right, number nine. We're getting there. 
It's a praying culture. A worshiping culture is a praying culture. He says, be constant in prayer, verse 12. One of the key ways that we rejoice and endure is through prayer. And there are lots of different ways that we can pray. Um, the simplest one is called the ACTS prayer method. You heard of that? A-C-T-S. Adoration, A, it's an acronym, okay? Um, adoration, that's just praising God for who he is. Confession, that's telling on yourself. God, here's some stuff that I've done that was not good, and I'm sorry, please forgive me. Confession, and then T, thanksgiving, that's rejoicing. And then S, supplication, that's asking God for what you need. And even what you want but asking God for what you need. Here's why that's so important. So many times I've been in prayer circles, prayer meetings, and people say, hey, what, what can we pray about? What's your prayer request? And then they just tell me something that's going on in their life. That's not a prayer request, okay? Telling me, so uh, for example, I've got this really big test coming up. That's not a prayer request. That's just a fact, okay? So what do you want God to do about that? Do you want him to cancel the test? You can pray that. Probably won't happen. Do you want him to give you wisdom to remember the stuff you studied? That's a request, okay? What's the request? Saying it's a really busy week at work this week. Not a prayer request, all right? So what are you asking God to do? Ask him to do some stuff, okay? Ask him. Um, Perfect. Okay, let's move on. Number 10. A worshiping culture is a generous culture. It's a generous culture. Look at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Generosity here is directed towards the saints. Notice that. Galatians 6.10 says this. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. So we are supposed to care for people who are not part of the faith, but we also have a special obligation to care for the saints, the God's people. This is a culture where we take care of each other. So what are the needs of the saints? Well, there are some practical needs like, um, you know, uh, food, shelter, clothing, you know, basic needs, right? There are some practical needs that as a church we should take care of for each other. And we're in the process right now, we've had a group who's worked on some of that, and we're in the process of trying to put together a plan for that. Um, But there's also spiritual needs that we have. We need to be fed as believers. That's one of the reasons that we preach and teach, and that that's commanded. We need to be comforted and supported, and we need people that we can laugh with. That's why community is important. So by supporting the local church, you are contributing to the needs of the saints, So here are some questions for you to evaluate. How are you investing in God's people? How are you contributing to the needs of the saints? Number 11, a worshiping culture is a hospitable culture. Look at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hospitality is offering kindness to strangers. So here's a question for you personally. Do you open up your resources to people? How could you begin to open up your resources to people? Your car, your house, your time, your mind. How could you begin to open up your resources to people? And here's as a church, are we ready to receive people on Sundays? 
When we see people that we don't know, that's a stranger in, you know, generic terms, are we ready to welcome them, to engage with them? A worshiping culture is a culture that's hospitable. And here's number 12, a peaceful culture. A worshiping culture is a peaceful culture. Now, number 12 is kind of a trick because there's actually four elements to being peaceful and we'll go through them real quickly, okay? We're going to read verses 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So a worshiping culture is a culture that is peaceful, that's easy to be around. A peaceful culture is positive. We bless. That means just to speak well of, to praise, to be positive about. So are you a positive person? Do you have good things to say about people? Even people who have wronged you. A peaceful culture is an empathetic culture. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. Can you celebrate with others even when you're hurting? Can you kindly mourn with others even when things are going really well for you? As Christians, we're not supposed to be marked by jealousy or boasting. So we're, when things are going well for someone else, we're not jealous of them. And when things are going well for us, we don't boast. Instead, we're empathetic, we're peaceful, we get along. A peaceful culture is a humble culture. Do you see others who are struggling and have compassion or judgment? When you see someone else who's going through something hard, do you have compassion or judgment? And a peaceful culture is a forgiving culture. Forgiveness is when you cancel someone's debt. So here's a question. Do you hold grudges or do you give grace? I know that's a lot of stuff. I've never preached a 12-point sermon before. But the good news creates a new kind of culture. And in many ways, that will be a counter culture. It'll be different from the world. But the reason that we do it is because we have in view the mercies of God. And when we had gone astray, God came to us in love and grace. And so that's how we live with each other. We have a way of remembering that that God has given us, and that is the Lord's Supper. When we take the Lord's Supper together, it's a picture of the fact that we all can come to the table despite all of our differences, despite all of the things that 
that would separate us ordinarily, we can come to the table as equals, as one, because of what Jesus has done. And so as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper this morning, would you just do some self-reflection? Would you think about how great God is as we sing this song? And would you allow that to humble you as you think about the ways that you fall short? The Lord's Supper is going to pass as we play this song, and then um, we'll take it all together in a minute. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. I pray that we would be a church that embodies his kind of culture. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.